0: For today is from Matthew's Gospel, chapter 16, and verses 13 to 28, when Peter declares that Jesus is the Messiah. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do you say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. This is the word of God.
1: One of the most important things that a church can do is pray. And uh, I, you know, prayed for the uh, situation of the asylum seekers earlier. And uh, if that is something that is on your heart, then I invite you to join Ross and maybe others tomorrow night before the upper room and attend the prayer vigil that's happening at the Gosford waterfront from 6 to 8. There are prayer vigils happening right across the country Um, and uh, it really is an opportunity for us to join together uh, in petitioning our Father in Heaven that His will might be done and that we might prove to be a people of compassion and of justice. Well, we are currently in a series looking at the life of Peter the disciple. Each week we are examining a portion of Scripture where Peter is featured. Peter's life and example model for us discipleship. Peter's discipleship will lead him to being a prominent figure in the establishment of the early church where he epitomizes what it means to know and to share the life-changing message of Jesus. And today, we are considering Peter's declaration of Christ. The more and more I read this passage, what I keep coming back to is identity and mission. Who you are determines what you do. As we will come to see, the identity and mission of Jesus is revealed, the identity and mission of Peter is revealed, and the identity and mission of a disciple is revealed. A moment alone with his disciples allows Jesus the opportunity to raise the question of who others, and more importantly, who they, his followers, thought he was. Unlike the faceless, nameless crowds who predict that Jesus is a reincarnated prophet of old, or in John the Baptist's case, not so old, Peter, as spokesman for the group, declares that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Peter had correctly established the identity of Jesus, but confesses more than he understood. He got the identity right, but as we will will come to see, he got the mission wrong. That was because his idea, and of course the broader Jewish understanding of who the Messiah was and what the Messiah would do was at odds with who Jesus was and what Jesus came to do. The Jewish people anticipated a military Messiah. They were an oppressed people. The Roman authorities continued to flex their muscle, and under their firm rule, the Jewish people felt vulnerable, abused, and manipulated. They longed for the Messiah, who, as the Scriptures had foretold, would come from the line of David. David was a military man, He was a mighty warrior who overthrew the enemy in battle and united the northern and the southern kingdoms of Israel. He brought peace and prosperity to the land. Under King David's reign and rule, the people felt safe. They felt secure. They felt optimistic. To anticipate a Davidic Messiah was to anticipate a Messiah who would come and dominate who would come and overthrow the strong arm of the Roman rule. So when Peter, on behalf of the disciples, declared that Jesus was indeed the promised one, the long-awaited Messiah, these were some of the expectations they held. The reference to Jesus being the Son of the living God indicates Jesus' special and unique relationship to his heavenly Father and was and was further confirmation that Jesus was indeed the one that Israel had longed for, the Messiah. God had come to rescue and redeem His people. This was good news indeed. Peter got the identity of Jesus right, but His mission wrong. This was because Peter and the disciples' understanding of God's chosen Messiah would, in, would need a complete paradigm shift, a new mindset. But this wouldn't happen until his resurrection and Pentecost for Peter to fully appreciate the kind of Messiah that Jesus was. Now now that the disciples were convinced that Jesus was in fact the Messiah, the one that Israel had been waiting for and longing for for 400 years, Jesus now, could begin the process of reshaping and redefining what his messiahship will look like. And as Peter and the others will begin to learn, it looks nothing like what they had anticipated it would, not even close. Yes, Jesus' mission was absolutely to rescue and redeem, but how that would be accomplished was entirely different to how they had anticipated it would be accomplished. Back to that shortly. After Peter makes a grand confession about Jesus, Jesus makes a grand pronouncement about Peter. Peter's confession is not the first recognition of Jesus as Messiah. You might recall, after Jesus had calmed the waters and Peter had walked on water, the disciples worshipped him, which was reserved for God only. But this is, up to this point in Peter's journey, this is the fullest recognition of who Jesus was. Not only the Messiah, but He is also the Son of the living God. Jesus commends and blesses Peter for His declaration of Messiah, whilst alerting him to the fact that this knowledge, this revelation, was not the result of human insight or observance. Hence the reference to His human ancestry, Simon, son of Jonah. But in fact, This had been revealed to him by God. Having blessed Peter, Jesus then speaks words of incredible promise over him. This is one of the most discussed, debated and researched verses in Scripture. It contains significant features that we need to interpret correctly if we're to understand what Jesus is talking about when he refers to uh, Peter's role with the church as the rock, the meaning of the gates of Hades and the meaning or the understanding of the keys to the kingdom. So let's slow it down and just walk slowly through this section. Firstly, allow me to reread to you what Jesus said to Peter in Matthew 16:18 to 19. In the NIV, we read, I tell you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The ESV and the New King James Version read very, very similar to that particular version there. Let's just have a look also at a paraphrased version in the message. And now I'm going to tell you who you are, really are. You are Peter a rock. This is the rock on which I will put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. And that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom, keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth, earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven, a no on earth is a no in heaven." The first thing to note is Jesus' deliberate, affirming use of the new name he had given to Simon. You are Peter. Not you will be Peter. You are Peter. Your identity is now that of Peter. And I have given you the name Peter expressly Because you are a rock, you are solid, you are strong, you are dependable, you are consistent, you are a leader, you are unswerving, you are Peter. How much hope and encouragement is there for Peter in that moment? You are Peter. Now, was Peter all those things at this point? Clearly not. But here is the thing Jesus sees the big picture, he sees us in light of who he is and who we will become in him. He does not see us for who we are now. He sees us for who we are becoming in Him. In Christ, Peter would and did become a rock. (laughs) He would and did play an instrumental and foundational role in establishing the early church. There are three mainstream views of what Jesus meant when He said, on this rock, I will build my church. In the simplest form, they are as follows. Number one, Peter will play a foundational role in the establishment of Jesus' church. Number two, the church cannot be built on any human person. In this instance, it is the truth of Peter's confession that the church will be built upon. Number three, Jesus refers to himself as the rock on which the church will be built. One person I I watched said, maybe Jesus said to Peter, you are Peter, and on this rock, referring to himself, you will build my church. There's a range of different understandings. But the one that has the greatest uh, support from everything I read, whilst each view has its strengths, several considerations combine together to lean towards the first understanding, which is the most literal, and takes Jesus at face value. Just as Peter had revealed the true identity of Jesus, now Jesus is identifying uh, the true identity of Peter. You are a rock, Peter, and I will build my church upon you. You will be foundational to the church. Jesus points to Peter as the one who will play this foundational role. Now, this is consistent with the fact that Peter has obviously become the spokesperson for the disciples and has assumed a leadership role that Jesus is recognizing and giving prominence to, and it, and promising to extend that leadership role. Jesus' instruction to feed his sheep upon reinstating Peter after his resurrection, as well as Peter's key role at Pentecost, offer concrete weight to this view. It is without question that Peter has a unique function and position in laying a foundation for the church. But this does not mean that he will build The church. Jesus said, I will build my church. Yes, Peter plays a central role in the foundational stages of the early church, but then he more or less disappears off the scene after Acts chapter 12, once that foundation has been established. Of course, Jesus is referring to Peter as this rock in this very moment in this moment of heightened confession, in this moment of heavenly wisdom. This, it is this Peter, in this moment, upon which Jesus will build the church. As we will see shortly, Peter can also be a stumbling block when he operates out of his own human understanding, which is limited. But when Peter is confessing Christ as Messiah, when Peter is given the wisdom and the knowledge from God to make such a confession, it is upon this Peter, the Peter who is becoming. Hmm. What a thought. The Sarah who is becoming. The Joel who is becoming. The Rob who is becoming. The Jeff who is becoming. We are all in Christ becoming so much more. And that's who Jesus sees us as. What a thought. Because of the personal nature of this passage, all that is directed to Peter is therefore personal. It is for Peter, the disciple, in this moment. It is therefore right to give esteem and high regard for this blessed apostle. But nowhere does Jesus indicate that Peter will play an ongoing role through subsequent successes. Jesus will soon prove that the church of which he is the cornerstone will not be threatened, thwarted or compromised by the gates of Hades, the gates of death, or the powers of death, as some translations put it. His resurrection from death will tangibly demonstrate this. Death will not overpower the church. Jesus will soon allude to the fact that even though his enemies will kill him, death will not prevail over him, nor his kingdom. What about the keys metaphor? What does this mean? Peter is given the authority to admit entrance to the kingdom of heaven. This is, of course, where all the jokes come from about meeting St. Peter at the pearly gates. Peter now stands in stark contrast to the Pharisees, to the scribes, in fact, to the Jewish leadership of the time, who, if anything, were closing the doors to people coming into God's kingdom. Peter's mission will be to grant access for people into that kingdom. And preaching the gospel is going to play a significant role in this. Most notably at Pentecost, Peter does metaphorically open the gates, open the doors to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many people on that day were saved. Further on in Acts, those gates, those doors are opened up to Samaritans and to the Gentiles. we'll come to the story of Peter and Cornelius in term two. But we see Peter here opening the floodgates of heaven's door so that people can enter in. Through the power of the gospel, Peter will metaphorically be throwing the doors wide open to anyone who will repent of their sin and believe in Jesus. However, once Peter uses the keys to open the door to the kingdom, he passes from the scene. The door remains open. The door is still open to this very day for anyone, regardless of their ethnic or cultural background to receive the grace and the salvation of Jesus Christ, should they repent of their sins and believe in him. Therefore, the keys are no longer necessary. But they were going to be necessary in this moment where Jesus addressed Peter. Peter, who was becoming... Following on from the keys metaphor, as one who opens the door, Peter is effectively granted authority to declare the terms of entrance and exclusion. Peter's authority is tied directly to his confession. In order to enter the kingdom of heaven, one will be required to confess Jesus as Lord, just as Peter himself did. Confession of Christ or denial of Christ will dictate the terms of entrance and rejection. In other words, people who confess Jesus as Lord and receive the gospel are loosed or set free from their sins. On the other hand, people who reject the message are bound in their sins, which will prevent them from entering into the kingdom of God. What Jesus has just said to Peter is a huge deal. Peter had declared the identity of Jesus. Now Jesus has declared the identity and mission of Peter. Peter is a rock and Jesus is going to use him to lay a solid foundation for his church by preaching the gospel and performing ministry in Jesus' name. This moment of identification signifies an a significant turning point for Jesus. As he now begins to describe his destiny, which will involve suffering and death. As I mentioned earlier, this was the furthest thing from what the expectations of the promised Messiah were. The identity of Jesus as Messiah is of one who will rescue and redeem. His mission to deliver God's people, as well as seeking and saving the lost, will not come about by force or by uprising. Rather, it will come through brutal death on a Roman cross and defeating death in resurrection. What a contrast. The disciples had in their minds that the Messiah would overthrow the Roman authorities and yet it would be the Roman authorities who would kill Jesus. We we have the whole story before us. We get it. But if we put ourselves in their shoes which is incredibly hard to do the sense of paradigm shift that needed to take place is just (laughs) mind-blowing. And this won't be the last time that Jesus explains what is going to happen to him. But no matter how hard he tries to explain the concept of a suffering saviour, it is something the disciples just won't get, this side of the cross, their side of the cross. It just doesn't compute. It doesn't make sense. Has Jesus got his script mixed up? Well, Peter seems to think so. And so he pulls Jesus aside and begins to rebuke him for saying such things. I'm going to refer to this as a Peter moment. Peter had the best of intentions, but one thing a student of a rabbi never ever did was rebuke or calling into question anything they said. This was a strict teacher-student culture. So good intentions aside, culturally, Peter is way out of line here. But we can cut him some slack, can't we, if we put ourselves in his shoes. He loved Jesus so much. He had given everything up to follow him. Now Jesus was speaking of suffering and death, just didn't add up in Peter's mind. He wanted to defend and protect his friend. I think we can all identify with Peter in this moment. But a Peter moment is that all too frequent moment when our human ideas, good intentions and defensiveness give rise to a reaction rather than a response. Peter moments are characterized by short-sightedness, misdirected passion, and uninformed pronouncements. The reality is that our ways are not God's ways. We must be so careful to ensure we are listening to the Spirit and following the ways of Jesus, and not just our limited ideas or perceived good intentions. This was a big learning curve for Peter. And the force of Jesus' rebuke to Peter was extreme. Get behind me, Satan. You are a stumbling block to me. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Peter has gone from the highest high to the lowest low. From a rock upon which the very foundation of the church will be laid to a tool of temptation in the hands of Satan himself. Becoming a disciple of Jesus is costly business. Jesus is not the Messiah that people expect. The nation has come to redeem the nation he has come to redeem will largely reject him. The glory that awaits him will come only after his suffering. Power will be forsaken for humility. The road to glory runs through the cross. The Christian message is that through death we receive life. In this final section of today's passage, Jesus issues a call to discipleship that has striking parallels to what He has just described of His own fate. Jesus firstly told the Twelve what it would cost Him to be the Messiah. Now He tells them, His followers, what it is going to cost them to follow Him. His cross will lead to their crosses. The loss of His life will lead to the loss of their lives being offered up for him and the gospel. Discipleship is not easy, but difficult. It involves suffering. The cost of total discipleship is the giving up of self for God. Real discipleship involves real commitment. Jesus didn't come with the message that if we followed him, we would have an easy life with everything happening as we would like it to just the reverse, to save your life. You have to lose it. To deny oneself is to place Jesus' priorities, purposes and path ahead of our own. The follower of Jesus dies to self and rises to the will of God. It is in Christ that our new identity and mission is found. Well, we had Jesus with us this morning offering us a menu at the table of grace. I wonder, what if Peter was sitting here with us today? What might he say to us this morning? Many, many years after Peter confessed that Jesus is the Christ, after seeing thousands of men and women respond to Jesus in faith as a mature, and seasoned sage, Peter wrote two letters to the church. Two letters to followers of Jesus, reminding and informing and encouraging them to stand firm in their faith. He wanted to remind them of what their identity and mission was. I imagine if Peter were with us today, he might share these words from his letter to us as God's people. 1 Peter 2, 4 10. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy identity and mission. Who you are determines what you do. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, we just come and give you thanks for your word. Thank you, God, that you are speaking into our lives each and every day by your Holy Spirit. And we thank you, Lord, for your word, which as we open it up and allow it to speak into our lives, we're continuing to do a work in each one of us. Father, I pray this morning that we might have complete clarity and understanding about who we are, the people of God, called and chosen and set apart to be holy to be salt and light to declare the praises of you God in heaven that men and women, boys and girls might come to see the wonders of your name and hear the gospel message repent of their sins and believe in you Jesus help us Lord to live in the reality of our identity and the mission to which you call us. We pray this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Please stand and join us as we sing of God's amazing grace and unfailing love.